Welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as ever by a man sitting in a shed, otherwise known as uh, Andy Bannister. And uh, we are today speaking about uh, what has gone wrong with preaching. Um, What has gone wrong with preaching as our title. But there's me jumping ahead of our 58 minute banter slot uh, but I just thought I'd let them know in advance. So they exactly. know what to look for. I, mean, one thing that might for? Be, I think one thing that might have gone wrong with, with preaching, uh, Aaron, is, is celebrity preachers who've lost all sense of humility. So they think that a man sitting in a shed exactly. is somehow uh is somehow, you know, is is is, is too low down the, the pile to have anything worth exactly. saying. I read yeah, a, I, I mean I read an amazing story actually that reminds me I'm mean, gonna do the banter. I read an amazing story this morning of um so William Carey, the, the you know, the very famous missionary this during the time of British India, was at some big reception at the British consul's <laughs> house and you know, somebody saw, somebody pointed him out and oh, there's the you know, professor of, you know, Hebrew and whatever um whatever the college was he was speaking at. And apparently some yeah. other person said, Oh, well, of course he used to be a shoemaker though. He used to be a shoemaker. Apparently Carey overheard this and turned around and went Actually, I was never a shoemaker. I was only ever a cobbler. <laughs> and I love there that story. I just I love that little tend to go yeah, well. Yeah. You know, there we yeah. go. Anyway, as an aside, yes, I am sitting in it. I am sitting in it. Was, well, there is a famous. There's another to to to, to respond. Could, another story would be John yeah, Owen's yeah. famous comment on on John Bunyan. John John Owen, who was a fated great yeah. theologian of the Puritan era, and uh, he said, "I would." And I think it was John Bunyan who was not a cobbler but a tinker. Tinker. The writer of Pilgrim's Progress, and uh, he was more kind of in touch with the common man in his way of communicating. And he, uh, I think John Owen was, yeah, asked. He said, "I would give up all of my theological learning and degrees if I could preach like that tinker." Very good. So, I'd forgotten he was yeah. a tinker. Do you reckon after Bunyan, you know, finished his manuscript? Do you reckon he worked on it for quite a while? He couldn't quite finish it. He kept sort of, you know, messing with it. He kept still going. I could see the I could see the banister eyes lighting up whenever the the listeners don't see that they don't they don't see this part of the uh, the boyish uh, back back to reality. The one reason there's been a bit of a gap since the last episode, we've been manifesting the gap or part of the gap by not doing. I've been traveling the country so rapid so far and flung parts of the UK. I don't know which country I'm in right now, Uh, but you've you've been further afield. You've been to the US of A, I believe. I have the US of A. It's been very fun. I was in Washington DC not long ago for the um, International Religious Freedom Summit. Very, very exciting. Good One of the other speakers there was Mike Pence, which is interesting. Oh, the I, I, yes. Former US I think I missed the session though. I've met him once, but not like. N- Did he come to the than, shed? Did he no, back in the, the days when I worked for a former organisation, but he was, uh, uh, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, Ravi Zacharias knew him, so I think there was some uh, big odds okay. event for the big wigs, and so right. I think. Mike Pence and I passed each other in a hotel corridor in Florida or somewhere, and I was just went good morning, and he went morning, and uh, that was it. That is my and that's it. Yeah. And you didn't even have time to make a pun about Pence, the you know his surname. You could have done something. I don't think I don't think I fully clocked who it was until afterwards. Like, Why do I recognise that face? And then something. Uh, then he was on stage. Oh, okay. That was Mike. <laughs> that was Mike. Mike oh, yeah. Pence. There you go. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate yeah. as I, if I thought about it, I'd have gone. You know, Mike as a as an Englishman who thinks the USA should never have left the. You know the empire. Yes. I love that you've named yourself after the British currency. Exactly, that's that's a good way of going about it. That would have that would have been a great way to you know to, to build friendships. <laughs> build friendships, that's right, with yes. our American friends. Yeah, that no, was interesting. There we are. Look at you, international yeah. conference speaker. <laughs> international conference speaker. Listeners, yeah. you heard him first here on Pod of the Gaps when he's speaking <laughs> with the UN, and when Donald Trump's hired him to be in his new you know cabinet yeah. or whatever. Then yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he, when he invents a new concept in American politics called a cabinet, that's right. It would just yeah. be like an actual cabinet, just sitting in a cabinet. <laughs> an I, cabinet. I need a theologian to actually help me out with some of my faux pas here. I like I'm that. Sure. Every politician should have a, a theologian in a cabinet that just opens yeah. it occasionally and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Call upon them, knock on the door, out, out the theologian comes. and out they, come, out they come and preach. Yeah, or to give you some script for some, you know, politicians often have to pretend that they're more Christian than they actually are, I expect. No, I know yes. that is the case. Yeah. The reference to preaching was an attempt to sort of segue the banter back to where Indeed. we're supposed to be. Well done. That's very good. Very well done. Uh, of course, yeah, we didn't even need a segue. We're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we've launched. We've launched the way. I think, as I think anyone tracking with us, and I know we have a lot of very faithful kind of listeners, um, of going, you know, maybe it gets to the point where we don't need to do the segue. We could just do the handbrake turn, you know, rather than try and smoothly <laughs> join the, to, you know, to take the, 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 Volvo right. 740, the Volvo 740 of banter and merge into the right. slow-moving tra- traffic of, 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 exactly. of topicality. We just pull the handbrake turn and just like and, and it goes do you know that there are endless segues here because you can talk about that as, as in, a, in a sermon 
the handbrake turn, the jarring clunking through the gears between the handbrake turn of homiletics. Yeah, exactly. That that could be a homiletics book. So yeah, no, we it's what's gone wrong with preaching. We we uh, you know you're you're much nicer than me, so you were like, let's not be, let's you. not call it what's gone wrong. Let's say like what's gone wrong and what's gone right. And I was like, no, let's. I know, and you were like, stuff that to go. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. We've only got a certain amount of time. We need to tell exactly. people go how to do that. Exactly. And you are right yeah. in the sense yeah. that this is part of the gaps. So, like, there's lots of places that we're going to talk exactly. about what's going right. And, yeah. you know, we could ramble on for a bit about, I would include things like, you know, some of the exciting, there's lots of exciting younger preachers coming through and, and good stuff happening there. I think podcasting has, has helped the internet. You know, it's much easier to get good. If you're in a small church in the middle of nowhere, you can still get access to really good content. We could bang on about that. But yeah, quite yeah, frankly, yeah, yeah. That's boring. Yeah, like, yeah, that's I, right. you, you can't see this. Watch it at home. He's falling asleep. He's leaning sideways <laughs> off, his, off, his, off his. He's practicing right. when the sixth child comes along in a few weeks. There'll be no sleep at all. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll name them Pence. Um, so it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I um, look after the Pence and the pound look after themselves. I think. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so I actually think so, so. Yeah, you have Andy. You came out. I didn't actually come prepared with three. Our normal thing of having three three secret points but you've actually told me you're kind of three i told you the points are not secret i've got like 46 points i could talk about with this so i won't come up with three i'll just kind of bounce off of yours maybe but one thing that just jumps out which might be a good yes. way to good way to get into this and to one of your first points i believe would be you just said podcasting has helped and yes it may well have helped and you know we, we, we better say it's helped because we are <laughs> talking on a podcast right now all podcasts um, should be abolished except this one <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you know, um, and I think the problem is, in many ways, podcasts have actually replaced preaching in our time. Um, po- people listen to podcasts because they are disarming and they're conversational and people might be a bit more off guard and it feels less pressured as an environment, as a, it's not a monologue. And so they're listening to people speaking about the truth, highlighting issues, asking questions, the kind of thing that you actually are hoping would happen in and through mm. the proclamation of the word of God in the sermon. And what happens on the sermon, the sermon has still tied itself to a sort of previous mode of engagement that no longer kind of resonates with people. So the, I reckon the fundamental way people are changing their mind today or their heart in relation to theology or um the kind of convictions in what they do with their life. Of course, sermons still play a role. And I, I, I care about preaching, you know, almost as much as anything, um, uh, theologically speaking. That's what a lot of my theological work has been on. Uh, yeah, I do think sermons have almost been replaced by preaching. And, and, and it's the preacher's fault. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> what I said? Sermons are, sermons are, in many ways, I'll get to that as well. So there's a difference between a sermon and preaching. Yes, Proclamation. There's a difference between like crafting a sermon and what preaching yeah. really is. So, so yeah, Good. I just think, do you, do you think podcasts then? So yeah, they've supplemented us. Yeah. We learn well, stuff, I think, I, yeah. Well, there's so many things you said that are, that, 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 that is, uh, are interesting and some are even helpful and a few are even correct. Um, no, no, joking aside, <laughs> we haven't seen each other for so long. So I have to be rude to you on air rather than in person. Um, so yeah, I think one thing you said there, I think, you know, the sermon has perhaps failed to keep up on the one hand. I'm not, in favor of the church always chasing after the zeitgeist mm-hmm. on the other hand good preachers and the sermon historically has always tracked a little bit with with those that you're engaging with yeah. um yeah. i mean the very simplest of going you know when the church when the, as, as christianity is spread around the world people mm-hmm. have preached in other languages uh they yeah. preach in different settings and so on and we can see this with the with the new testament you know jesus does a lot of his preaching in the outside some in the synagogue but some out outside um he was a very heavy user of parables and that particular style of communication and he's dealing with a crowd who was sat in gro- groups on the ground around him so you can probably envisage perhaps a more interactive style of teaching and that's also what we yeah. the rabbis yeah. would often use you scroll into the book of acts and it's a bit more, you know, we see some formal sort of more sort of formal, um, you know, speeches there. Paul obviously knew how rhetoric worked and so on. So even model in the, in the, in the Bible. And then, by the way, you get to the, 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 the epistles, which are in one sense sermons in writing. So it's not some controversial idea mm. to go mm. as preachers. We should at least be aware of the yeah. fact that we're living in a world where there are 
the likes of podcasts and digital technology. Mm. There are negatives there. Obviously, they are. Distraction would be an obvious one, I would I would mention. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the pluses are, one reason I mentioned podcasts is, you know, doing a lot of work in rural parts of the country. You know, it can be really tough, and I get this. If you're listening to this and you're a Christian and the church you go to on Sunday has 15 people in it and you're sharing a pastor with four other churches, which that mm. happens. It can be yeah. really tough. Yeah. And knowing yeah. that okay, I can go and get plug into great resource, whether it's podcasts or just recordings of other, mm-hmm. you know, preaching mm-hmm. online is is really, really helpful. I mean, the negative side to that, because there always is one, is that you can then start looking down your nose at your own pastor who's got his yeah. own struggles, trying mm-hmm. to do all that pastoral work and put a sermon together and look after a diversified rural parish. Don't start beating your own pastor around the head because he can't preach like Tim Keller or Alistair Begg or whoever of going, yeah, if you're a large American teaching pastor, where I mean, all you're to, to, paid to do is is preach, of course it's going to look different. But there is a plus there. So yeah, I think I think I think being aware of where our pre, where where the congregation are at, Aaron, and that was one of the things on my list actually. The one that mm. linked to was on my list. I jotted down. Mm. I think one of the gaps in preaching right now. I think I hear quite a lot of preachers, not just younger ones actually, but quite a lot of preachers. I'm like, you haven't taken the time to understand the person you're speaking to. I think the best preaching really understands the congregation. You know, who are you preaching to? Where are they at? What are their struggles? What's what's going on? Perhaps the what a really a good and I won't mention the church I was in. Really good, you know, egregious example, egregious example of this was when uh, a year or two ago. I've lost track of the time now. Two years ago, wasn't it? When 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 did Ukraine kick off? Was it two years ago? Yeah. No, it was a year ago. It can't have been two years. Yeah. Well, whatever it was, it was in twenty twenty two. Yeah. As it was it's two like, years ago. You're right. It's two years ago. I don't, know if, I don't know if it was calendar years, but it was like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, whenever Ukraine kicked off, it would have been actually because we were still in Scotland yeah. in the church in question. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you know, Ukraine has been invaded by Russia. You know, you war in Europe. Everyone is panicking mm-hmm. and fearful and what is going on. And the church I went to that Sunday, the pastor was preaching some series through some Old Testament book and didn't even mention, didn't mm-hmm. even mention. So mm-hmm. people are sitting in the pews frightened and anxious and unsure and that to me would be the time for a good sermon to have gone you know what we were going to look at the you know the the, the 14th chapter of isaiah but we're going to postpone mm. that to next week this morning we're going to think about hope in a time of fear mm. we're going to think why we have confidence as you know whatever it is um and to go yeah quite frankly i remember sitting there thinking your message is not landing on half the people here mm. and uh, because the conversations before and after are on something we're on something mm. bigger and so i think that's just one example of perhaps yeah not or when someone dies i've been in churches occasionally where that's happened there's been a real tragedy has hit the congregation mm-hmm. and you i think that's a time when as a pastor being willing to go my people mm-hmm. are not at the place to hear the message mm-hmm. i had prepared mm-hmm. my yeah. job is to bring still not to you know still to dig deep into the word but to be willing to mm-hmm. to, to adapt. adapt so yeah, yeah connecting with your audience i think there them. needs to be more work done on this yeah yeah there's a few things just to bounce back with that i mean the, the- the first churlish thing I'll say is clearly Andy, you don't know. You're not aware of the the audience you have in me right now. If you use Tim Keller and Alistair Begg as good examples, you know. In, in this, in this well, point, I know really the trouble they're modern. Yeah. You'd want you'd want somebody at least 200 years old and preferably well, dead. Just for those who realize, you know, to adapt to the new negative world, you know, we do need uh, to move beyond the the older forms of uh, of, of winsomeness. But anyway, but the um, Methodist type me- I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go on, carry on. Yeah. Meth- so, you're going to quote, quote Methodist preachers at me. Is this where we instigate? No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah, the, the ones who have the four congregations. That that's genuinely like it is a dire situation for many because not only do you not you do you actually don't know what you're going to get week to week. So I've often had to preach as a local yeah. preacher, not as a Methodist, but just because I get I got invites when I was at Cliff, and uh, it was just it was a bit disheartening because you might go and preach your heart out somewhere, but <clears throat> no one's really expecting anything to change you like no one wants to some of those congregations are traditionalized to the extent that they if you come and bring something they have to put it it has to fit within their framework so yeah you have to be aware who you're speaking to you don't preach to an elderly congregation of 15 people in a rural area the same way you would speak on a a platform at a conference or uh, to a congregation that knows you well and if you're coming in you can't actually know who they are you don't really you're trying your best and you're praying and you're you're thinking ahead of time about that and reflecting on it, but yeah, they they really they don't want someone to come and mess anything up for them, and that's a problem. That's a, there's a problem. The word of God is supposed yeah. to come and challenge. It is supposed to be a hammer that breaks the rock, as Jeremiah says. And and I I think across the board in the church, I just don't think pre- people, many congregations, want their lives to change all that much. And 
that's mm-hmm. why we sort of end up filtering out those more challenging um, messages sort of as they yeah. uh, come along. But we, but I think you're right as well that the, the sense of the, um, that, you know, being unadaptable, there's, there's a counterpoint, obviously. I mean, you've spent a lot of time in reformed churches, maybe exclusive, not exclusively, but like a lot of time in reformed churches. A, a, a lot, not, certainly not, ex- not exclusively. And Scottish, Scottish Presbyterianism as well. You know, so you've had that. Mark, I won't hear a word said against Scottish Presbyterianism. <laughs> not least because they're feisty and, and you know. Yeah. I know what they believe. You've been under David Robertson's preaching. I, I, I have sat under yeah. many. David, and then yeah. Sinclair Ferguson and many yeah. other great, great, yeah. great, great, great Scottish preachers. Yeah. David Gibson, Amen. you know, the list goes, the ah, list goes on. Ah, great. Yeah, ditto. I was under, I, I had uh, many of David Gibson's sermons. Of course, because you were in, you were in his church in, um, in Aberdeen, weren't you? For a, yeah, that's right. Which Sinclair, I think Sinclair Ferguson is there now anyway with, with David. So they, <laughs> they, and their Presbyterians, they do have a, a very, you know, it is very focused on expository preaching. So expositing what the text says. So we are going to the next bit. We're going to do the next passage, regardless of what happens. And we're going, that's the moment, the kind of most moment of encounter is in the service where all of the pastoring kind of gets done. We can bring up a point about that in a moment as well. Yes, we are. Um, but but um, I, I think w- the reason why expository preaching matters it is precisely so that we're not dragged this way and that by the zeitgeist. So that's why evangelicals have that, especially reformed evangelicals, they have that focus to say, we're just going to keep going and, and the Bi- let the Bible speak. So if we get to the issue, we get to the issue if if it's in the text. If we, if we, if we if it's not going to yeah. come up in the text, we're not going to get there. So I think I heard John Piper say, um, in a when he did a series on Romans, which took him like, you know, I don't know how long, might, it might have been like, six seven eight years i know martin oh, i'm sure longer than that i was gonna say my our reform friends do like great long periods <laughs> and I, I, I don't know how precisely how many years it was but he did say in romans one because we're going through the rest of romans which is going to take us several years this listen carefully because this is the time i'm going to say something about homosexuality i mean this would have been in the other 90s or something so like he went really to town on precisely what the church belief is on it speaking against it in the, in the culture etc um this is the time i'm going to talk about that and so listen carefully because you won't you have to listen and then, to the recording, and then off he goes because then he's, it doesn't come up in the rest of romans and so therefore you could pop into one corinthians you could pop into uh, yes. one of the pastoral epistles but we're not on those so we're just going to focus on this the trouble think, is by the way you have just uh, just I, obviously yeah. i've been it, it's been a long day and i've drunk too much coffee but i've got my thinking there my just my side of my side comment there about mm. <laughs> about great long series if one is going to preach for you know eight years on a, yeah. on the book of Romans, then to balance it out, you should do six months on Philemon. Yeah. Oh, the <laughs> same right, ratio. Isn't it? <laughs> so true. No one does yeah, that. Do, yeah, six months series on, on <laughs> Philemon. That's right. And they do a one a off sermon. One verse on at a time. Yeah. You could just about do it actually. With yeah. Grace and peace. What does that really mean? Well, it meant Sink the same out. as every time you did the first one of every other letter. Yeah. But um, anyway, back to back no, to no, but, but back to yeah. that on, on adaptability, right? So. Now, Karl Barth, who's who's no like perfect theologian by any means, he no, had the phone lines of... are lighting up now. I can <laughs> see you've mentioned <laughs> Bart. Okay, I'd mentioned, always respect you. We mentioned Beg, who's now an pariah. We now got Bart. So, so only, for, so Bart, only for half the church. The other half. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So, but but Bart had a, a kind of uh, awakening moment with preaching when he preached a sermon. Um, before he was a theologian, he was ten years preaching in a rural parish, and he preached a sermon after the Titanic went down and he did the change his sermon thing that you've actually recommended. Yes. This is when Bart suggested, not, I just please just clarify. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Bannister is a liberal. Okay. Let me just make it really, really clear. No. So Bart, this was when Bart was officially theologically a liberal. Um, and he decided he got so enraptured by the Titanic story. His sermon was like, basically like a reading of the newspaper and he was quoting yes. the details he loved the narrative of it almost you could tell even though it was like a tragic event so he was like yeah of course we must speak into the moment but he realized and he kind of repented of this later and came to the point of going no i have to say like the text needs to speak and Absolutely. i need to get out of the way so that's that that's a classic a classic reform emphasis but i think you're right actually because it's the pastoral Close yes. pastoral situation. So there's even a situation in our church yeah. that where where a prominent member of the congregation died, and it was quite a, a significant. It, it made in the newspapers. I remember, I remember that story. And I didn't. I personally didn't know him really well at all. But I, 
our pastor then did actually preach a sermon entirely relating to that. And if he hadn't done that and said, oh, yeah. we're on the next, it would have been like, a bit odd. Well, the classic yeah, example yeah. there, you've you've also illustrated the point beautifully for me, because I, I totally agree. First, by the way, you can go nuts and just talk about mm. the cultural thing. Mm. And, you know, you know, listeners to this podcast will know that it rarely does a podcast go by where I don't quote F.W. Borer, my favorite historical <laughs> preacher. And Borer, I remember, tells a story from his youth when he was discovering reading. And one mm. of his first big purchases mm. was Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And he just fell mm. in love with history. But he mm. said, my poor congregation for the weeks afterwards, every every other point was given this, given the other great line. And then finally, one of my, my preaching mentor had to take me aside and go, like maybe one quotation every few weeks might be <laughs> appropriate. Um, but my yeah. point being, the funeral is, in, the, 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 the example you tell is interesting, right? Because nobody, I think, would think, nobody would think it okay if you turned up at the funeral and a pastor went, I'm actually going to, I'm not going to preach this issue. I've just, quite frankly, I'm reading through Song of Solomon this month. And I'm going to preach something. <laughs> yeah. You'd go, something has gone, has gone wrong. So yeah. for me, the, yeah. the middle ground, isn't it, I think is that absolutely scripture has the authority, but you can do two things. You can, you obviously as the preacher, it is partly your job, you know, as you pray and listen to the spirit to discern which piece of scripture, nowhere are we commanded, thou shalt preach through one book at a time, one chapter by a time for five years um is the first thing and then i think like the titanic example of go yeah you don't want to spend the entire sermon reading the news but you can go this has just happened we're thinking about this maybe people may know people so today i thought we'd look at what the bible says when bad stuff happens and my word you've got you've got text to draw upon and a gospel example of this of course would be you know jesus talks about the tower of siloam you know he brings that in when that's just happened and falling down to kill people he doesn't spend ages going do you know what this is my people died and these many of them people are crushed and there was this but he he, he, people in the crowd are all talking about it so jesus was able to go well this is what you're talking about so let's 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 start there and i think maybe a closer example might be because the tower of siloam is like him He's confronted by people, like, and they say, "What about the? What yeah, about the, yeah, exactly? What about the Galileans that Pilate mixed the, the sacrifice with, with blood?" And then he brings up, actually, well, what about the Tower of Siloam? Jesus said, "What do you think? They were worse sinners." And I think he's dialoguing all the time. And I think there's something in that even that we don't. We're saying about podcasts yes. being dialogical. Uh, we don't think of the fact that Jesus is often responding. His he doesn't really do sermons like we think of sermons. We have created a crafted a kind of communication in the modern world called the sermon, and, and the sermons do adapt and evolve in different eras. Like you can look at the history of sermons yes. and see how people preach differently. But every generation, we'd end up kind of thinking that the way that you've inherited the kind of sermon mode you're used to that lasts for whether forty minutes or twenty minutes or seven minutes, if you're kind of at a you know liturgical uh, setting where they don't value the sermon as highly, well. Oh, uh, the phone lines have lit up again. I can see there. I just said liturgical. I don't. I didn't. I didn't name any specific denominational names. But but like it's it, it's a, it's a form. It's a form of communication. Yes. And and yes, they can they can serve you well or not so well. But you need to be open to you know mixing it up when when you need to, um, without falling off of uh, you know any yeah. kind of unhelpful ditches. But but I think the Jesus example that's probably closer would be he did also know how to speak in the form that was appropriate to a synagogue. And I think most sermons right. are like synagogue sermons. Yes, Jesus, I think you're right. In, you know, in Isaiah, in Luke 4, he takes up the Isaiah scroll. He reads the scroll, as is the normal custom. But then, what does he do? He says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he's bringing a prophetic, he's speaking Word. prophetically yeah, exactly. in and through the text. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, obviously, you know, Siloam was the first example I thought of. Mm-hmm. As you go through the Gospels, I think there's lots of examples. I mean, you could actually argue... And we may come to narrative in a moment. I mean, the use of you know the number of agricultural examples and so forth, because Jesus is dealing with a crowd who yeah. are predominantly yeah. you know agrarian. And then Paul is interesting, of course. You look through Acts because you've got different examples of how Paul would address things. You know, if he's addressing a more, a more Jewish audience, a more Greco-Roman audience, you know, authority figures, mm. and so. But I think the point you said there, Aaron, is important enough just to emphasise. One of the troubles, I think, in the more reformed tradition, you know, I'm call myself reformed, the lowercase r, um, is that we've inherited the sermon form. Lots of us look back to those pastors of the past that we love and admire. You know, I talk about Borum a lot, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, you know, Spurgeon, others we might name in the contemporary world. Yes, I mentioned, you know, Begg and, and, uh, and Keller and others. We have our preachers, but yeah. they're the older generation, and we don't sometimes... Mm-hmm. Being willing to stop and go, okay, 
let's look at what we've inherited because yeah. it's a scripture yeah. that is that is that is paramount and going yeah. if standing up the front of the audience and doing a sermon a lecture style like I was a college professor for 45 minutes is the best way to get the the truth of the scriptures into my audience go for it yeah. but if it's something a little bit different you know, if you're a pastor of a younger adults congregation, the best format to go is to go down to Starbucks on a Sunday night and sit around and teach with a Bible open on your lap and do it more interactively. Mm-hmm. Then I think it'd be willing to explore that. And I think, yeah, holding lightly, holding, holding lightly to what we've inherited, being grateful mm-hmm. for the lessons in the past mm-hmm. and being willing to examine them and go, what, what should stay in the past? Mm-hmm. What gets updated? Mm-hmm. And what is the new stuff that the Holy Spirit is leading into? You know, as we've talked a lot about in Paul of the Gaps, if it's a scripture that is central, that's mm. the main mm-hmm. thing yeah. rather than yeah. the because, because you could get okay. there, there were people that were well, no, regularly within within homiletics, the kind of science of preaching. You do see, get look people, at that. You're, that shows you're a former theologian. You can use words like <laughs> homiletics. I like, the t- I like the term former. You used to know about theology. Uh, <laughs> the theologian is <laughs> formerly known as. Now you're just yeah, you this should... dismissed lecturer who goes and speaks at random, you know, at random things in the in, 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 in the US. But no, I, I think yeah, like within homiletics or within and some and within sort of breakaway church movements, like the emerging church used to do this, focusing on um, new forms of preaching has been a normal thing. But it's also conducive to like postmodern thinking. So mm-hmm. the liberals just love it, and it's annoying because biblically speaking, as exactly as you say, you 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 look at the diversity of how the word is proclaimed, and it isn't like monological it doesn't have one uniform no. style but it seems to be the people who emphasize that are, are doing it because because they don't want the authority of the word so they want to go hey let's do this jazzy cafe thing let's do this narrative whatever and they're doing it actually because they don't want the clear text so the reform guys are going look the safest way to ensure that the text is at the center is we're always going to make sure we exposit yes. the word and i would say amen i just want to say that it's like the way you exposit the word can be different so jesus like it is possible to it is genuinely yes. possible to exposit the word in and through narrative um, but it's just that you have to have moments of heralding the word and if you don't you're actually running away from the heraldic duty of a preacher rather than saying yes narrative supplements this and helps and, and look at i mean just look at jesus example as you say reaches yeah. the common man and woman because he's able to um to connect that. with them in all yeah. sorts of different ways and as you say that that example you put there i think i sums it up beautifully i i <laughs> I actually sometimes find myself just shouting frustration because you're absolutely mm. right. You have the kind of like Rob Bells of this world mm. to name one particular pink flavored elephant. And, um, and then of course you get the reformed elephant on the other side that reacts the other way. And I'm like, oh. can we just do a couple of things here? Firstly, can we, you know, particularly because obviously I would be more the reformed elephant of going just because some progressive airhead has used a particular has done something with a particular form doesn't mean the form is of itself wrong yeah. and again in our own tradition as good conservatives you know Christians we should get that look at hymns look at mm. when hymns were first hymn singing was introduced the likes of John Newton and others yeah. the critique they got oh you've taken a method that's come from the pubs and the common people yeah. it's not yeah. spiritual yeah. and God yeah. bless them they push through with it and now they are the irony as we sing amazing grace and mm. you know and can it be and we're like man these are great theological hymns well they were hated at the time mm. Mm. um so I think that yeah being willing to go we can take the the form that perhaps are being used more on the mm. on the progressive side and go no mm. we're going to take that back actually doing things in yeah. terms of dialogue style sitting yeah. around the meal table whatever thoroughly biblical thoroughly biblical you're not gonna have all the fun give it back mm. um and like rob bell for example by the way the other thing there i always think is interesting you know bell took to use just that example his mistake i think was to take the, the question asking form which is thoroughly rabbinic and thoroughly mm. christian and jesus asked 307 questions in the gospel mm. And then Rob's mistake was just to not bother giving answers. Um, You know, but the idea that you might explore questions is a phenomenally biblical Mm. idea. So, yeah, look for the... But we need to move on because I've got other things on my list, mate. And we've got... Oh, yeah, sorry. How many have you done on your list? Oh, I've got 34 things to get through. 34 left. And I've got 56. Okay, no. But just the footnote on that, yeah, the thing I often used to say to students was the emerging church replaced the exclamation mark with a question mark. Yeah, exactly. That's what they did. And you actually, by biblically speaking, you have both. And actually the exclamation mark has to be prior. You do know there's a punctuation symbol that has the two together. Have you come across this? There's the interrobang. The interrobang? The interrobang. I've never heard that phrase. Have you not heard the interrobang? 
You should no. Google it. It's actually a a, 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 a a question mark and an exclamation mark combined. It's quite old, actually. Um, oh. So I'm a great one for re- recovering it. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Moving rapidly on. The next one flows out of this one to, to some yeah. extent. And I don't think we'll spend too long here because, you know, in a sense, this is part of the gaps' <clears throat> terrain. Hmm. It's the... It is the okay. There's the, the engaging the listener, but then there's the you know the, the topics that the listener is wrestling with. So if you're a Christian in the workplace, and yeah. you're you know or the university, and you're faced by lots of the, the themes and the issues that we've explored and part of the gaps, it is sad. And I've had many, many, many Christians express this to me over the years that occasionally in that cycle of preaching, mm-hmm. you don't get the you know, the, the resources for the pastor at the front addressing a contemporary topic from the Bible will help you in your everyday life. And the example, by the way, you can do that really well. One of my preaching here is John Stott. We haven't mentioned John. Mm. You know, John, great expository preacher, great theologian, but also very famous for his book, Issues Facing Christians Today, mm. uh, Realizing You Need to Equip People. And I, you know, I was sitting the other day talking to someone about this, and I sat there thinking, do you know what? You're right. I can't think. And if, if you live in a church, if you're in a church where this happens all the time, you can email in and go banister. You just, you know, you haven't, you haven't explored wide enough. I've never heard a sermon on parenting, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a parent of, of two youngish children to go, we've had to figure that out. I can't think of a sermon I've had on, uh, on, 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 on money. I mean, vague things, but not actually, okay, here are the challenges and the pressures of the modern day consumerism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look at the, the horrific stats on, on things like sort of pornography and marriage breakdown and those things. And to go, the ch- I haven't heard a sermon that just goes, right, we're going to talk about some of these things that will be affecting yeah. good numbers of the congregation. Domestic violence, uh, which if you look at the stats, there's a lot of that kicking around, sadly. Just those kind of pastoral issues. Now, to, to balance what we just said, I wouldn't want to see the church tear up preaching expositorily and by, by you know, by Bible book, which we mm-hmm. do so well in our in the reformed tradition, and again, I'm asked, I'm suggesting we need to mix, we need to mix and match it. And again, the examples there in the Gospels of how to do that well, you know, as you say, mm-hmm. Jesus walked into the the synagogue and he just took the reading for that that day and did Isaiah, but equally he could stand up and go right. Well, you know, look, look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's topic based. It's let's work some things through that need to be said here. Um, and I think, yeah, and I say that with a discipleship heart of going of, of meeting lots of young younger Christians and older ones too, I think, who are struggling. And that may partly, by the way, Aaron, be linked to the podcast thing. I think one reason mm-hmm. people go looking for yeah. stuff yeah. is they're like, well, I'm not getting this in the pulpit. And yeah. and I need to find out what the answers are here. And thankfully there's great resources. But I just mm. think occasionally churches could do a slightly better job. And so if you're mm. a pastor listening to this, I would just encourage you, make sure, you know, you just season the the meat and veg of regular expository preaching with, you know, perhaps on a Sunday night. In fact, I came across a church, to be fair, actually, um, as a slight exception to this rule. The other week I went and did something for, I'm doing something for in a, in a few weeks' time where it's quite clever. On the on the Sunday morning, they do the more regular, traditional structuring yeah. of stuff. <clears throat> in the evening, they have occasional series where they'll take, yeah. you know, those big, those big topics mm. of the day and help Christians think them through biblically. Yeah. So, yeah, make, make sure right. we're addressing the issues that people need to hear about because otherwise you're leaving Christians mm. to, to fight their battles and, and navigate an increasingly confused world and we're not resourcing them. And your job yeah. as a pastor is to resource your people. That's very good. I, I think the, um, yeah, I've long been an advocate of the sort of separation between preaching and teaching. So which churches used to do regularly and on a similar thing of like the, the Sunday uh, morning and then like an adult Sunday class on Sunday afternoon or dialogical session. Our church now does a, a sort of occasional Sunday evening um, thing with where we're going at topics and issues, recognizing that it's a bit of a new frontier hard to you. do that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and I think that the what what you'll always need, as you say, the pastor's role to equip the congregation um, for works of service and ministry. Um, because again, remember that we're all called to ministry. Um, we kind of think someone, someone talks about a leader thinks about, I'm going into the ministry, but actually all Christians are called to forms of ministry. Um, just not governance necessarily and, and not with particular roles and offices within the church, but we're kind of called to minister to one another in many ways. And I think that, um, yeah, the, the sermon has to be a sense in which the word of God is speaking to you, challenging as well as encouraging building up and, that's why you don't want to get too gimmicky to, to kind of this why the, the two yeah. point the previous point links. If you get too gimmicky, it's like an entertainment thing. It's like a, oh, jazzy, and it takes a person thirty hours to prepare it. Like I remember seeing the guy doing narrative preaching and really going to town on it, and 
it was brilliant. Like communication was just like the whole thing was in the, was a first person narrative. He didn't introduce himself. Rob Bell used to do this as well, you know, and, and it was quite impressive, but you can't, you can't be doing that. Like as a priest, that's not what Paul was doing and Jesus was doing. They weren't like preparing dramatic monologues every Sunday. It's like unsustainable. So it's a cool thing to do every now and then. I wouldn't say it's completely pointless to do it. It's just, that's not the place to do it because there's something sacred and reverent even about the gathered congregation who are there to hear what is God saying today. And that's why it's such a burden on the preacher to speak to however many, whether it's 15, 10, 5, or 3, 400. It, it's, you have to somehow, you're trying to speak to all of these people and you're praying the Spirit is going to use these words. And that's why you want to attach those words as close as you can to Scripture so that what you're saying isn't like I'm shoehorning in a political opinion or a, a certain thing. You're genuinely trying to show that there's a connection to this text, which is why I would sort of not even use the language of churches should not do expository preaching and do a topic. I would say it's always expository. It be, yeah, exactly. You're always expositing what the scriptural truth is. You're just applying it more mm. and, and teaching. I guess the difference between teaching and preaching, one of the ways you could articulate it would be um, you're heralding, I say you're in that prophetic mode, heralding the word. You're, you're wanting it to be monologue. You're wanting it to be authority. You're actually not wanting dialogue. I think teaching is all about, it's far more about, it's more cerebral. It is more about applicable as well. So it's like you're, you can dialogue, you can talk about it, you can show examples. You're, you're not, it's, I don't, I never used to get nervous lecturing when, when I, when I was paid to lecture <laughs> um, because it wasn't, it doesn't have the same level of authority attached to it. With preaching, mm. however many times you preach, you ought to feel a kind of nervousness, a sort of holy nervousness to say, I've got a great responsibility to bring the word. And as soon as you're up there, it's just you you and the Holy Spirit and your text and the congregation, you can't rely upon them for a little q and A. I I mean, sometimes you might want to do little things to break it up. I get that. I've done that before. But really, it's about that moment of what have you got for them that morning? Uh, what, what are you going to mm. bring them from the word? And I think there's something sacred and reverent about that which should be kept. But you're right. Churches used to be able to have this and have this other moment where they can talk these things through, ask yeah. for questions. And we haven't That's done that. That's a good point. I mean, I think – yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked before on part of the gaps, I think, about, and it's interesting, you know, you've just come back from the USA, I lived in Canada for six years, a lot of North American churches, I think, it's a much healthier model, actually, where you have the adult Sunday school, so you have that the preaching and teaching part, and I think, yeah, you're right, that the that's my use of expository versus issue was not the most helpful, there are better ways of phrasing that, but I think you can still preach in the mode that you've described mm. and link it to, you know, yes, to yes. something that the congregation are are wrestling with because again yeah, we see absolutely. this in 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 scripture and i totally agree with you without doing it as, as gimmicks and such and some of that can be very prophetic you know mm. if you look at some of the stats and some of the issues and you know that christians in the congregation are me wrestling mm. with some of these of things you know yeah. you can stand up there and say some things that need to be said i remember a few episodes ago we did the episode on abortion right mm. and we talked about mm. the fact that a lot of pastors are terrified yeah. to talk about that yeah. but you're going to need to and i think you yeah. can do that in a pro- yeah. that is a more prophetic style yes. of going yeah we need to call this what it is yeah. and yeah. sure you've been affected yeah. by this and you've done this yeah. grace yeah. <laughs> follows repentance. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But of going, yeah. but I think, yeah, yeah, we have separated sort of things. And I think actually I'm now looping back to actually, I don't feel bad that I separated a part, uh, you know, expository and topic based. Cause I think that's what we've done in the reformed tradition. <laughs> You'll have somebody's go, well, I'm in expository mode this morning. Mm-hmm. And even that adult Sunday school, if you're not careful, you now go, well, that's the place, you know, it's teaching. Mm. Once we start, you know, address helping, you know, a young married couple see how to raise a family or yeah. how Christians should should mm. talk, you should manage their money. Okay, well, it can be teaching, but it was done while be preaching as well. Of course, you, you would herald, herald, yeah, the imperative. Unpack the text. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think just mm. suffice to say, as I say, I'm so conscious yeah. that I hear that yeah. a lot yeah. from, from I, people. I, and I think the da- the danger would be uh, with a, an overly rigid view of expository preaching. By which I mean, I'm genuine. Just to ex- expository means to exposit, to the yes. opposite of deep deposit. I'm taking it out of the text, bringing it to you. But some people can think of that as being like, right, if the text I am preaching on doesn't say abortion, I'm not allowed. The, the Holy Spirit will not allow me to, to mention abortion because it's not there in the text. Well, lots of stuff isn't. Pornography will never come up. Um, you know, abortion probably never come up really yeah. as an actual issue. Doesn't actually ever say. So we know it's wrong and we know that we can speak biblically about murder and, and, and the, the importance of sanctity of life and uh, et cetera. You don't have a, you're not going to have a text if you've got this expository, right? I'm going to just say what the text says. I mean, 
to say what the text says is quite a theological, it requires interpretation, it requires prophetic um, risk as well. And I think people need to yeah. take more prophetic risks in preaching. That's why a text that doesn't seem to be about abortion, you're not necessarily eisegeting the text and reading it in. In if you're if you're dwelling on going, this truth to be applied today to exposit this text here and now means I have to talk about the issues that are present in our culture, which which may well mean abortion, it may well mean homosexuality or something like this. I mean, ironically, again, gay marriage doesn't come up in the Bible either. So you could say, well, I'm never going to talk about gay marriage. It doesn't mention it. It just mentions homosexuality. So let's just not go there. That's well, the other other thing as well. I also find this also funny because if you take that bit to extremes, you're not in a you're not you're not in a totally dissimilar position from some of the very strange theological sort of tangles you get into. Things like if you want to try and you know exposit. Oh, you know, advocate a KJV only position of going yeah, sounds yeah. great in theory until mm. someone goes yeah hang on what about and then suddenly all the exceptions come in so mm. you know I, 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 I've come across people who are quite negative about dealing with contemporary issues, but you know they love they love they love the the, the, the surgeons the, the surgeons the, the sermon the surgeon, for example. So the surgeon the sermon can be a surgeon, surgeon though, who yeah. said. I mean, I, I, I well, I think it was Spurgeon who who said. I don't think it was original to him, but Spurgeon certainly was fond of that line about praying with the Bible in one hand and newspaper in the yes. other. Of going, Bart, he would try actually, and draw yeah. yeah, I think Karl Barth. Yeah, Spurgeon had his own version of that, but it was yes, basically that, yes, that, did, yeah. that line. But yeah. it was that idea, and we forget that the guys that we yeah. admire in the past yeah, yeah. did the same thing. Yes. We don't recognize that they did the same thing yeah. because they weren't well, yeah. obviously weren't quoting, you know, WhatsApp yeah. exactly, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, actually, got time then. Let's lead this into the next related issue because they all yeah. do all kind of cascade through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah. of the re- one of the things I think this cascades for it links to in. in for me, in terms of weaknesses in preaching in some parts of the church today, yeah. is that we uh, we have a discipleship crisis mm-hmm. in the church. I think that's another thing I, I hear from lots of friends who are pastors who are struggling with. I hear lots of Christians, I think, wrestling you know, with issues that are basically issues of how you grow in your walk with, with Christ. And what's happened yeah. in some churches, and again, this is more of a weakness, I think, at, you know, the more the more reformed end where we would be, partly because the progressive end don't, do it at all. By the way, I can't get out of my head that the, the opposite of exposit is deposit. And I was thinking, I've sat under a few really do- dodgy sermons that deposit is actually the really description <laughs> of what just They've taken a Steve Chalk's latest yeah, book landed like a great yeah. deposit upon my <laughs> sorry, well, he, Steve. He took he took a dump. Yeah. Anyway, back to reality. Um in some parts of our community, I think what's happened, um, accidentally no one set out to do it it just sort of has happened yes everything is sitting upon the sermon so we don't yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't disciple well we don't help young christians grow, and older christians grow in their faith well through loads of different mechanisms whether it's small groups meeting mm. together praying whatever it is and so what happens is everything sits upon the sermon and the poor yeah. old sermon is expected to do too much a 35 minute sermon on a, on a sunday morning is expected to educate mm. people challenge people equip them grow them in their faith mm. deepen their mm. prayer life their devotional life the list goes on and on and on and to go it, it's actually not possible uh, for one single piece of communication to do all of those things and it ends up doing not all of them well and again to bring it back to the gospels i'd love to bring it into jesus right to go you know what a wonderful model of discipleship he 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 did the preaching he did the teaching to small groups but he also spent a vast amount of time you know investing into the lives of those apostles those disciples as they wandered around and spent time together and we had all and so everything even for jesus wasn't just standing on his preaching there was a public component but then there was also the discipleship and uh, and the yeah. one-to-one the smaller stuff that goes on and so again it's not saying we shouldn't be preaching or we should be changing vast amounts of things or we've talked about some of that i think it's saying let's make sure that we're thinking really wisely about all the tools that we have in in the in our tradition in the bible um in order to help grow disciples because by the way if you're growing disciples your preaching is going to be more effective because if you've got people who are who are switched on to wanting to learn who are excited when they sit because you talked about you know standing there with fear and trembling as a preacher there's you and there's the bible and there's the holy spirit mm. what you also want of course prayerfully don't you every preacher wants you want a congregation who are sitting there who've prayed who've come expectantly mm. yes. who want to learn who believe that god speaks through his word today yeah. um yes. but i think if we neglect the discipleship <clears throat> components your congregation are going to be far less likely to be in a place ready to receive everything mm. you poured your heart into so yeah let's yeah. not make the sermon do things it was never never intended to do yeah absolutely it needs to be 
um, supplemented. Or it's more that the sermon. I would I would probably put it more like the sermon needs to lead to <clears throat> those other activities of discipleship. Because otherwise, if you just say, "Hey, let's take some of the burden of like the heraldic burden away from the sermon," I'd want. Oh, to I say, love that phrase. <laughs> the, the heraldic deposit. It, like I, I heraldic almost want to say that. That's, we the, then that's allow... the next book right there. preaching in the contemporary world (laughs) well because it it can be like the small group time then or whatever or the podcast listening all the other stuff that supplements just chips away at the authority of the sermon i just genuinely do think that the average christian is not being shaped by the sermon and that's that's actually it is it is partly the congregation's fault in a way but it's also the preacher's fault because i don't think there's been sufficient courage in preaching uh, what needs to be preached because I think people will listen. Sheep will hear um, the voice of the shepherd, and they will hear that they'll respond to good, um, good food. I think. And I, th- I do remember hearing a great analogy Terry Virgo used for shepherding in general. It links into your just like the notion of the pulpit as discipler, um, or at least a, a, something that catalyzes discipleship beyond that 35, 45 minute moment. Was I think he was going to visit someone in his small group. Um, who was a shepherd, an actual shepherd, which is kind of helpful for these analogies we tend to use without any actual knowledge of, <laughs> of how shepherding works. Probably all preachers should go and visit a shepherd at some point. And he said, when they drove you up... heard it first here. Yeah, that's right. When they drove flock up of his... The gaps. The flock of the gaps. When they dropped his driveway, all the sheep recognised his car and came towards him. Terry's there, I think, next to him in the car. Another time he went to visit him, Terry drives up the driveway and no sheep are coming near him. They don't recognise him. They don't think they don't know that they're going to get fed by him. Whereas when the shepherd is there, they recognize there's something there that they can get good food. And I think though we can idolize celebrity preachers, that is a problem um, for sure. Um, there have been moments where God has raised up preachers like a George Whitfield, a John Wesley, a, a Spurgeon, a Lloyd Jones. People would flock for miles. Uh, they'd walk for miles. They would um, drive from, you know, for several hours to go and listen to because they say, this is where I can be fed. And I, and I think it's not that you want to lionize only the dramatic, great preachers. You, of course, you want to say that in any preaching situation, you want the Holy Spirit to speak. But it, it just so happens that those that tend to get that kind of impact, they're usually saying something very, very pertinent at the moment. And they're normally mm. taking risks. I don't mean just mean pointless risks. I just mean like courageously saying, this is what the Bible says, going to stand on it, I'm going to proclaim it. And Lloyd yeah. Jones is one of those. That's why people they travelled from Wales to go to London, to Westminster Chapel. The challenges, yeah. though, by the way, just the risk of you know playing yeah. um, not devil's advocate, the Christian <laughs> Bannister's the, advocate. Bannister's yeah. advocate. Yeah, I see what you did there. Actually, it's Edward's going, advocate. It's my, my advocate. No, exactly. Yeah, sorry, the um, yeah, I think one of the challenges we have today, of course, while that, I think that may have been true in the past, today you have the problem that you because you have this celebrity culture and platform yeah. building, it is perfectly possible to build huge platforms and get large audiences yes. when actually you're not doing that. So I think one criteria, one, yeah. yeah, one sign. And also as well, I think the other thing is as well, and the challenge is, is particularly with that one, Aaron, having been in, you know, in my time, you know, one or two churches that the numbers were, 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 were small. Like, you know, there's a mm. you know, the country church I was in from 2000, 2004. I mean, in that time grew from 20 to 120, but the, mm. I still look back on the guy who was our pastor as one of the best pastors and, and actually actually preachers I've ever sat mm. under, but actually, yeah, people didn't come from miles around to here. I mean, mm. Peter would occasionally preach at word alive and things and, and, and he could handle those large crowds. But one of the things I respected about him was he was also content to serve away at the coalface and cool. do great gospel yeah. work. And I think, you know, yeah, the influence yeah. on many who sat under him. Um, but I do think in general, a good principle is you'll see fruit. So 20 to 120 is a six-fold growth in five years. That's pretty impressive. Um, but, but depth I do, of yeah. fruit as well, rather than just numbers. Depth like of fruit as well, just yeah. not not yeah. not just not just numbers yeah. as uh, as well. But yeah, I think I think all of those things are tangled up together. I think, yeah, I would even push back on your put on your on your sort of pushback and go, I still have questions in my mind, partly because I'm still thinking some of this through. How exactly does the sermon? I'm not sure I would go. I would use the language of the sermon should be that the authority of the sermon, you know, can't be chipped away. But there's other things because it may be. I'm perfectly open to the sermon isn't the right model for some churches. The teaching of the word needs to be central. And if it turns out that the way to do that is by something else that's, that, that's, that, that brings that authority of the word unpacked. So, so be it. But I think the main thing is we need a a sort of discipleship ecosystem in a lot of Mm -hmm. churches where you have those different ways that we're building into people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that I also hugely appreciate 
because having lots of friends like you do here in pastoral ministry, I also very conscious that I don't want people listening to this game. Well, it's all right for you because you're an itinerant speaker. You're not a pastor. And if you sit the, the, the workload mm-hmm. that many pastors are laboring mm-hmm. under, and there's you and I pontificating about the need to, mm-hmm. you know, improve the rigor of things like discipleship. I'm just, I'm sometimes suggesting that sometimes we bear ourselves down with things that actually we can strip away yeah. and retool yeah. something. And yeah. it's one reason, by the way, as a total aside and random tangent, why I'm in huge favor of pastors taking re- regular sabbaticals and those kind of things where you can sit back and, mm-hmm. and take a, take a view from a distance of mm-hmm. your ministry and how the Lord is using you. And is the spirit saying to things, you know, I know you've done that, you know, midweek mm-hmm. meeting every year for the past six years, but I just wonder <clears throat> if this might be the time, the man of Macedonia mm-hmm. moment, <laughs> you know, you're not mm-hmm. going to go into Asia, but you're going to come this way. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. And, and just to, I think that's right. I think we probably agree more than we seem to. on that. Oh, point. we always do. We try and pretend what? to have disagreements. We probably agree. But I, I think the, so on the so yeah, Lloyd Jones is an example, by the way. That was a, that was a genuine critique of Westminster Chapel. Would be like it was some would argue. I mean, people push back. I know people who've pushed back on that. There was a real congregation there, and then there's this kind of peripheral congregation who come to hear him, who actually go to other churches. There's still something about the prophetic moment I think that matters. So I, I do think those are just different. So mm. your pastor in the small place, we're not actually kind of comparing him to Lloyd Jones. We're saying that we need these prophetic heraldic preachers who maybe set the scene and people can learn from and be inspired by and there's a reason people flock to that that's okay because we have that in scripture there's different examples of that as well as that coalface pastoral interaction with the same congregation um i think uh, you know where they're actually they know they know who the, the preacher the preacher knows them and they know who, who he is and i think that's significant and it, it's not something that should be overlooked so we, we do get into into a bit of a muddle when we sort of try to make everyone conform again just going back to the same problem of conforming to a certain style or, or form but to your other point the, the the notion of the is it too central i can i actually agree that i think preachers probably spend too long preparing sermons i also think they maybe don't spend enough time <laughs> preparing in the right way and by that i mean in a way you should always be preparing a sermon like or a, a, a heralding of the word let's say let's not put it down to a particular form of communication but if the herald the heraldic word is at the center of the, of the of the church's sort of prophetic witness and and out of that i think i believe these other things should flow yep. um it means that there's a problem with spending 25 hours every week crafting a particular form of communication where, where you're thinking right how do i get my transition and here and there like of course those things are good but I don't think that's what Paul spent his week doing. I don't think he like spent his week going, how do I get it really right in this 35 minute thing for Sunday? And that takes like a good three days of my week. If that's the case, I don't know how long the different, you know, different people, that's a higher end. There are people who don't spend anywhere near that amount of time. But what I mean is it's not to uh, lionize random um, sloppy spontaneity, but there is a genuine sense that spontaneity matters. What you need is regularly being in the word and that you're living with what God is speaking to you about in the word. And I think out of that, hearing, seeing what the, what the spirit is wanting to say. Yep. And that means like, I knew a great preacher who was one day just to say, you know, it, I, what I do in preparation is I prepare the scriptures. I prepare my scriptures and I prepare my heart in prayer. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't sit down and create this perfect manuscript sermon or perfect set of notes where every perfect analogy is there. So that there are ways of doing things that can be good in one or other yeah areas but i just think we have to get the main thing right which is if we're not if we're doing that all of that stuff spending all that time doing that and it isn't actually having an impact because we're not really um saying what needs to be said then you're going to get the kind of impact that we've had in yeah. many churches over the last sort of few decades which is yeah decline. i think you're i think you're right i'm two things that sprung to mind for me as you were as you were chatting there one is that um one of the guys who was our one of our was our pastor for three years in Toronto, we moved to, to Canada. One of the things that Sunder would, would an illustration he would use that I always used to like. He talked about the way he prepared sermons was you know drawing on that model of um that 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 vision of Ezekiel and the Valley of Dry Bones. Hmm. He would do not minimal, but by by some people's standards, shorter. I think sermon preparation, but split it over three days. He's like day one, I'd spend a morning bone gathering. So I read, I pray, hmm. I think of ideas, just just gather the bones. Then I let it sit for a couple of days. Come back to it two days later again. Pray then assemble those bones into some sort of structure. But then he said, again, I'd let it sit for a couple of days. 
and then come back on the last day and having really prayed over it, just really now pray into it as I do the last tweaks, praying mm-hmm. that, that the God and the spirit would animate the skeleton that's been put together. But that three-stage process of bone collecting, assembly, and then just calling on on the Holy Spirit to just come and animate the thing, I think is helpful because sometimes I think my fear is if we do the massive lot of 25-hour, 30, 40-hour you know, for those who can afford to do that. I mean, Tim Keller mentioned, you know, famously did 60 hours of preparation and God bless him. But um, but of going, the, the danger is you can sometimes like, merge all those categories together rather than yeah. of going, what I need to do is have collected well. So I've got a good sort of stuff I can build out of. And then, yeah, taking the time to craft it, but also leave that room for the Holy mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. And the other thought, by the way, as well, I, I remember, uh, you know, a sort of young, uh, when I was younger, I, I a pastor friend saying to me that again i i thought was like taken as a given but i now speak to some guys and whereas it isn't that there's nothing shameful in reusing a message if you've prayed and prepared and and worked hard to bring you know isaiah chapter 13 to life and then you know in six months time perhaps you're preaching as a guest preacher in another church and you've prayed over it and you actually feel that's where you're being led there is nothing wrong in bringing that sermon out and dusting it off and sure pray over it again don't assume because you put the work and the preparation, you know, we miss the fact that Jesus and the gospels, you know, used multiple, use the, use illustrations more than, more than once. Yeah. That's pretty much taken as a, as a given. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, you can get lazy. Of course you can, but also, you know, if you've invested the time and energy into a piece going, okay, Lord, can I make use of this again? And, uh, and, you know, I've, I've occasionally had people go, Oh no, I have to prepare a, you know, a new sermon. I came up, I came up with one pastor recently. He was preaching, Young guy was burning himself out. He was preaching Sunday morning, Sunday evening, the midweek Wednesday meeting. Three new messages in a week, and he was almost burning himself out because yeah. he was doing sort of t- yeah. you know ten fifteen hours prep on each one. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, dude, yeah. you're going to destroy yourself and burn out. Yeah. You're not leaving time for your family. You're not leaving time for pastoral visiting and the other parts of being a pastor yeah. to go. Maybe there's a different way of doing. Yeah. And I think that's right. If I mean, obviously, some some might say, "Well, Andy, you're you're a, you're an itinerant evangelist. You guys live and breathe off of the uh, the sort of you know cycle of sermons that you can." Absolutely, we we have just one message. Is itinerant. <laughs> we just use it again and again and again. I think that's what I mean. George Whitfield must have preached the same sermon like hundreds of times in different places. So it, it is it is like if you have something, I mean, that's partly because they didn't have ways of regurgitating it, you know, or recording it. But they they did obviously print and preach, and so people would be able to read the sermon. But still, they would preach. Uh, similar um, outlines but i think the key thing is as you say you go you pray over it and you're it has to be fresh the word has to be fresh and and so i've mm-hmm. often i've had good and bad experiences of doing that of, of, of thinking this worked really well here it will definitely work again here <laughs> and it just doesn't and it doesn't land in the same way because you prepared it in a context that was fresh and there's a reason why you wanted to go there and there is a kind of we talked about this on the writing episode a while ago mm. there's a murdering your darlings thing sometimes so sometimes a sermon as good as it might have been yeah. in your head or, and well received you let it go it's gone words that famous hymn let it go, let it go. <laughs> exactly exactly and so you have to be ready to do that but absolutely yeah. there have been loads of times when you can not kill yourself and try to try to reuse a helpful structure because again there's lots yeah. of great servants of god who've done that to great effect and so we don't need to pointlessly uh, as though as though we're kind of sinning against the holy spirit by by using a by structure reusing that's been used. because actually you're not it's not that you never preach the same sermon twice really there's a new people there's you're different in a way you're in a different mm-hmm. situation and you're going to emphasize yeah. and reflect something different and so well i've even had that experience as um I've even had that experience, and if you've you've had this this which is interesting when I first learned that, where where I when I've preached in some larger churches where you preach the same sermon multiple mm-hmm. times. Like my 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 biggest ever was a church in Vancouver, huge church out there. I had the privilege of speaking in once, where it was six times you preached. It was once on a Sunday, Saturday night, and then you preached five times on the Sunday. Wow! And the interesting thing is, I remember going. What's fascinating is even the same sermon on the same day you go, it lands differently. You know, it's a different field because you say the congregation's different. Yeah. Perhaps the, 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 the worship, the songs that have been put around it are fractionally different depending the age of the, because of the age of the congregation, whatever it is. And I'm learning, this is really interesting because on paper, yeah. you've literally got up 45 yeah. minutes later and done yeah. the same thing yeah. and actually yeah. different things yeah. happen. So, which is a, which is a good salient reminder, isn't it? That in all we've talked about, the Holy Spirit, has to come within and breathe into and through or ain't worth doing in the first Amen. place. 
Amen. Which is a good place to land because I have to get out of here in about yes. two minutes' time. I've, I'm due to take my kids to the rock climbing wall. So if you never hear from me again, it all went badly <laughs> wrong, actually. Sorry. And um, there is just a pile of dry bones at the bottom of the wall. But um, no, <laughs> I hope um, I hope some of what Aaron and I have shared over the last hour or so has been helpful um, and provocative and thought provoking. And to go, you know, it's interesting, Aaron. And I, I often find a part of the gaps. There are some topics that you talk about, and you don't realize quite how controversial they are because people have kind of pet opinions <laughs> and whatever. But to go, I hope what people have heard is that you and I are just passionate to seeing the word proclaimed prophetically, mm. prayerfully. And to go, one of the joys of being part of the wider Christian community is we spur one another on mm. and um, as we as we serve the Lord. So anyway, this has been part of the gaps. I've been Andy Bannister. That has been Aaron Edwards. I could, if I could do it in a Texan accent, actually, you weren't in Texas. You're in Washington, weren't you? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're I speaking. You're still speaking. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. But that's a very Mennonite beard, so you would fit right into certain parts of the uh, thank you. Yeah, the USA. We were back. Hopefully, um, slightly less, slightly less gap than than last time. Uh, but I hope you've enjoyed this. And as ever, if you've enjoyed Part of the Gaps, please do like it, review it, particularly on Apple iTunes podcasts. If you use that, that really helps. Share it with friends. Consider supporting us and all that kind of stuff. And until next time, goodbye from me. Farewell. Yeah,